0: Our reading today is Luke 14, seven through verse 24, page 873 in the Blue Pew Bible. Again, Luke 14, seven through 24. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We say thanks be to God after the reading of the Bible because we really believe that God is speaking and we wouldn't know certain things if he didn't put this text in the Bible for us to read. So, uh, thank you for saying that with us. Uh, my name is Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF where we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. And that word, for, that word community, one of the best ways we grow in that is through our community groups. And so, uh, we hear God's Word in this setting, and then we seek to apply it, help one another apply it in those groups. So if you want to be a doer of the Word, as the Apostle James tells us to be, we really recommend those, um, encourage you to take part. Let me pray. Lord, we're thankful for the book of Luke. We're thankful for Jesus. And now we pray that we would be able to apply this Word to our lives. We pray you would send forth your light and your truth. Pray that we would be humbled by it, and that we would be exalted. And Lord, as we hear stories of revival, we don't know how the depth or breadth of revival we read of, but we want true revival here, and we know you can do it. So we pray you would peel back the veil that blinds us, help us to see you in your holiness, help us to see our sin in light of your holiness, and then rejoice in Jesus Christ who saves us. His name we pray, Amen. The banquet is a highlight of the week for the invitees. In fact, it may be the most exclusive banquet in America. Far, far more difficult to get an invitation to than even a state dinner with the president. This banquet go is, goes to invitees who have lived their lives differently. And there's a dress code. In fact, The dress code and the invitation are basically the same. To get in, you have to have a green jacket. A green jacket. To get into this banquet, you have to win the Masters Golf Tournament. The banquet is the Masters Champion's Dinner. Now, each year they have it, and about 40 men are the only invitees, and when they attend They taste the finest food. Uh, 2022 gave us Japan's first master's champion. His name is Hideki Matsuyama. The menu, as is typical for champions, reflected his national tastes. So the appetizers were uh, yakitori chicken skewers with sushi and sashimi and nigiri. I like sushi. Followed by uh, miso-glazed black cod. I love cod. Followed by a ribeye steak of Wagyu beef. I really like ribeye steaks. And for dessert, a Japanese strawberry shortcake. I wish I could have been there. The invitees raised, r- raved about how good the food was. But the way they got there, they had to live their lives differently. They lived their lives differently than the rest of the world for years To get the invitation, they had to hit range balls till their fingers bled and blisters were formed. They had to fight the heat and the cold training. They had to lift weights. They had to get better. They had to ignore different distractions. They lived. They lived for this. They lived to make it to this banquet. They lived to become masters, champions, day in, day out, year in, year out. So, what banquet do you live for? Maybe your ideal is to make it be famous and live and be able to attend the Golden Globes dinner, the fanciest night in Hollywood. Maybe you live for that, or maybe you live to be at that special dinner at the end of the year where all the bigwigs in the company get to dine out together. Do you live for that? Or maybe your expectations seem a little lower you'd just like to have Thanksgiving where everybody's together or a family dinner where there's no fighting. Do you live for that? As great as those feasts and banquets may be, they never last. They never truly satisfy. And in Luke 14, Jesus is at a banquet and he turns his thoughts to the heavenly banquet. It reminds him of judgment, of heaven and hell. And he tells us in these In these verses here, to live for the heavenly banquet. Live for the heavenly banquet. That's the big theme. Live for it. Live for the heavenly banquet. There's a better banquet than the Master's Champion's dinner in Augusta. And living for it means you'll have to look different, though. You can't just live your lives like everybody else. Live for the heavenly banquet. And we're gonna look at three categories of how we live differently than the world. We live for the heavenly banquet in how we pursue status. So, live for the heavenly banquet in your pursuit of status. Then, second, we'll look at how you live for the heavenly banquet in understanding generosity. What does it mean to be generous? And then, third, live for the heavenly banquet in how you order your priorities. Now, Jesus says at times, You have heard it said. A, but I say to you, B. So that's the format of this sermon. I'm going to give you a, you have heard it said, what the world says, but Jesus says unto you, B. We're going to go over that. So first though, the way we live for the heavenly banquet, the first way is in your pursuit of status. The pursuit of status. When you're pursuing status and influence, the world says to you, the key is location, location, location location. That's how you pursue status. You get in the right spot. Location, location, location. Let's read verses 7 and through 9. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So we saw earlier last week that the Pharisees are watching Jesus, but Jesus is watching them. And he notices these things. These people all care about location. They want to be up close to the master of the feast. They want to be right there. They want to talk with him. They want to be close to him. They want to be influential. They want to be able to drop names, hear names. They want to be part of the conversation, the in crowd, the cool kids. That's what our world tells us. That's how you pursue status. Location, location, location. Go to the right parties. Go to the right people's houses. Live in the right neighborhood. Shop at the right stores. Be on the right team. Status is found, we're told, By location, location, location. But where the world says location, 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 here's what Jesus says to us. Jesus says, low station, low station, low station. You find the lowest spot and you you go there. Low station, low station, low station. Go to the lowest place, the lowest spot. Read verses 10 through 11. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, honor and shame are a big deal in our culture, but are a much bigger deal in Jesus' day. You show up at a, at a banquet like this in traditional cultures, and you're on the totem pole somewhere, and you feel pretty comfortable with your spot, and then somebody says, you're not so important as you think you are. You're not so good as you think you are. Here, you need to move over here, which would be like stripping off the clothes and seeing all the naked ambition all what your secret motives were, what you really think about yourself, all on display. It's telling, and people everywhere looking at you and saying, you're not so great as you think. So Jesus says, take the lowest station, the lowest place. And when you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Others won't need to humble you. When you humble yourself, God and others will exalt you. So low station, low station, low station. So, this challenges what we've been taught by our culture, though, doesn't it? We're told we deserve a break today. We've been told to have it your way. You deserve this. Always being encouraged to elevate ourselves. Location, location, location. Up From, from up high, we can look down on everyone else. But Jesus took the low station. He applied what he preached here. Listen to Philippians 2 verses four through nine. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Jesus practiced what he's preaching about here in this heavenly banquet. He humbled himself and God exalted him. So let's get practical here. Do you do the dishes? Do you clean the toilets? Do you pick up after the dog? What do you do when you're trying to find a parking spot? Do you think, you know, pretty fit? I can probably take the long walk, let, let uh handicapped folk or people uh, who are carrying young children, they, we'll let them park up close and we'll walk. Low station, low station, low station. You want to be an elder at the church? Great. Come talk to me. I want to help you with that. But now, are you willing to teach children's Sunday school when you teach and no one listens and when you lead and no one follows because adults would never live like that? Adults would never behave that way. You want, you want to have some say in the ministry, how ministry teams are run. You've got some training in music. You've got a good ear for music, and so you want to be up here, up front, and in, in front of everybody. But what if your ear, your musical training might be better served back mixing the sound, helping other people sound better, only being noticed on those occasions when there's the screech? Nobody even knows you do anything except for when you mess up. Low station, low station, low station. But don't do this to manipulate others. Maybe you're in a meeting in the office building one day and a uh, men's prayer meeting and all the chairs are being filled up, the soft chairs are being filled up and you think, oh no, friend, you take my spot. I'm going to go get this uncomfortable metal chair and sit in it and secretly say, I hope everybody notices. That's the opposite, isn't it? Not location, 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 but low station, low station, low station. That's how you pursue status when you live for the heavenly banquet. So are you doing that? Do you live for the heavenly banquet? You can do that by how you pursue status. Now, way number two, you live for the heavenly banquet. Way number two, you live for the heavenly banquet by understanding generosity, By understanding generosity, what does it mean to be generous? The world has this way of viewing hospitality and invitations and generosity. It works like this, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I buy you lunch, you refer me clients. I have you over for lunch, you have me over for dinner. I buy you flowers, you give me sex. It's all transactional. And the quote that our culture has that it borrowed from ancient Rome is this. This is how generosity works. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. That's how we understand generosity. Quid pro quo, which means what for what or this for that. I give you this, you give me that. Or I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's what we see in verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Jesus, wait, wait, what? Don't invite the people that can return the favor? Don't invite the people who can pay us back? do you see how transactional this is? I want to get paid back, so I invite them. So quid pro quo shows we're only looking out for ourselves. It's all about me. It's about me getting what I want. This for that. Quid pro quo. Now, I don't think here Jesus is saying, you can't have a birthday party for your sister-in-law. And I don't think he's saying that just because you know some richer people, you can't have them over for dinner. But Jesus is always after our hearts. He's after our hearts. He's saying, why? Why do you do these things? Why do you invite them and not them? Is it because you are really looking out for yourself? Quid pro quo? That's what the world says. But Jesus has something else to say to help us understand generosity. Jesus says, quid pro no. Quid pro no. Those of you who know Latin, no, that's not. (laughs) Quid pro no. Instead of what for what, or this for that, Jesus says, this for nothing. Do this, nothing in, in return. Quid pro no. Let's read verses 13 through 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Invite the people, Jesus says, who can't even work, who have no way ever of paying you back. And Jesus says, you will be blessed, which in this context means happy. Jesus cares about your happy. He's like, I want you to be, be happy. So don't do quid pro quo, do quid Pro no. So think about this. Have you ever lived this when it's quid pro quo? You're, on, you're thinking about the, the little Christmas celebration, then all of a sudden you get the news like, wait, what? They bought us a present? We didn't agree to that. Great. Uh, kids, get in the car. Maybe we can stop somewhere on the way. Um, we got to buy something for so-and-so now. Why do they do this? Why do we feel that way? Because we view relationships as transactional. We've got to do something for somebody else. They've got to do stuff for us, and it becomes a huge burden, makes us unhappy. Jesus says, no, living the way the world does, that'll make you unhappy. What I want is your happiness, which means give stuff away, then you'll be blessed, then you'll be happy, and you'll be repaid, don't worry about that, but you'll be repaid at the final judgment. You'll be rewarded by God when you're entering into the heavenly banquet. In a quid pro quo world of generosity, it's I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. But Jesus says, I'll scratch your back and I'll be fine. Don't need anything from you. It's quid pro no. Now, think about how this would transform a culture. Things would be very different, wouldn't they? we have a culture now where we try to shame people in power or influence. We want them brought down from where they are. We want to teach them a lesson, but why do the people really care about bringing those people down? Because they want something in return. They want a benefit. They want to be put up in that place. They want room for them. And why do the people grasp so strongly, do cover-ups and bribes and things like that to grasp onto their power when people are coming after them? Because they think that they need it. They don't want somebody else coming after them, taking their place. They're afraid they'll lose the clout they have and life won't be worth living. And they're right unless there's a heavenly banquet. And then they're wrong. But what would happen if both groups decided to just serve and love one another? Use their resources and skills and organization to bless others. What if we, this was what we heard. Sure, you know what, looked at the finances, I can take a pay cut if it helps my employees get a raise. And the, the employees say, no sir, we don't need a pay raise unless we're being more productive. Oh, by the way, Would you allow me to make a suggestion to you how the company might actually be more profitable and successful? You can take it or leave it, really. And I don't need credit for it, I'm not asking for a promotion, I just wanna help everybody succeed. That's a society that begins to be full of love and trust and prosperity and peace. That's what the church is supposed to look like. I'll serve, I don't need position, I don't need credit let me serve. Or think about this. You know, coach, it was, it was a lot of money. I spent a lot of money on getting the team the new jerseys. But I'm not asking for my kid to play more unless he earns it. So here, take the jerseys. The kids need it. Don't give him any more special treatment or her any more special treatment. Just help them improve and enjoy the jerseys. Or you, kids, looking at your siblings, Of course you can have the last piece of pizza. Of course you can have the last cookie. I don't need anything in return. Go ahead. Jesus is teaching that understanding generosity means living quid pro no rather than quid pro quo. And who did this more than Jesus? He's infinite God. He needs nothing from us. He gains really nothing from us. All we bring to our salvation is our sin. That's it. But he came and served and gave his life as a ransom for many. He secured freedom for people who are in chains just by believing. He didn't say, hey, work a whole bunch. Scientology says, spend a whole bunch of money. Spend a whole bunch of time. Work your way up in the system and maybe... Maybe you'll be clear someday. Or Islam. Our friends that are Muslim. You know what? Allah, he's most merciful, but you know what you need to do? You really need to work hard. Pay Allah back. Make your pilgrimage to Mecca. You better do that at least once in your life. Make sure you say your prayers. Don't miss any. Or what about Hinduism? This demand for potentially endless cycles of reincarnation, just trying to do enough to achieve nirvana, quid pro quo, the universe says, you better do better so I can treat you better. But that's not the God of the Bible, not at all. He gives, we receive. It's all Him, salvation's a gift, so we receive it. We don't fight for it. We just believe. And so we can give to others because everything we've got, we've received. We've already received eternal life in a relationship with God and meaning and friendship and on and on. Living for the heavenly banquet changes things. It changes how we pursue status where we live low station, low station, low station. It changes how we view generosity where it's quid pro no. And now third, live for the heavenly banquet in ordering your priorities. How do you prioritize things? In ordering your priorities. Our world is all about stuff. It's all about self. Leave us alone once we got what we need. We're kind of like Gollum with the ring. I've got my precious. I don't care about the world out there. So here's what the world says. It's what the world says to us. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Let's read about this obsession with stuff and things when we read verses 15 through the beginning of 21. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, that's Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. So here's someone at this banquet with Jesus, and he's hearing Jesus talk a little bit about banquets. Things are really exciting. He says, oh man, man, how awesome is it going to be to be in the kingdom of God, banqueting in the kingdom of God, the heavenly banquet." But Jesus, surrounded by all these religious leaders that are self-deceived, says, guess what? Not everyone gets in. Not everyone gets into the kingdom of God. And look what keeps people out of the kingdom of God. The things they've found and the things they've kept and held, possessed. So what keeps people out of the kingdom of heaven? Maybe like the first person here, Real estate. Real estate. Maybe the, the dream, the American dream of owning your own home, your own little perfect piece of property or your lake cabin or fill in the blank, maybe that keeps you out of the kingdom of God because all you care about is what you found. You finally found it. Now, I don't think it's wrong to have any of those things, but if that dream house becomes your obsession where you rejoice that you're the finder, that nobody else has this, you've got your little piece of paradise, could keep you out of the kingdom of God. You rejoice that you're a finder who gets to keep the property even while your spiritual life goes in the toilet. You're in trouble. Or what else could keep you out of the kingdom of God? Your business productivity. Look at this, look at this guy, five yoke of oxen. Think of all the plowing. Man, we're really gonna be able to increase the harvest and productivity and efficiency. Uh, In a couple of years, we'll probably be able to buy the field next to them, then get another five yoke of oxen. Man, and we could go back to this whole real estate thing and build, build a bigger house. What a find. Man, I'm keeping this, I'm keeping this business, this side hustle, this factory. I don't have time to live for the heavenly banquet. I've got feast enough here. What else might keep you out of the kingdom of heaven? Romance. Romance. I like these conversations. Missed you? I'm not judging anybody here. Missed you at church the last couple of weeks? What's been going on? Well, you know, we just got married a couple months ago. We really liked just soaking in this honeymoon stage. It's been really hard to make it to church. You know, we we get up and we just look each other in the eyes and we just lose track of time. All the world seems to stop. So you're telling me that a couple that has no kids waking up in the middle of the night can go to bed whenever they want. No emergency baths in the morning after there's a mess at the table can't seem to get themselves ready for church. Now, I love marriage. It's a blessing. I'm gonna, you're going to hear us celebrate it in just a couple of weeks. Romance is a blessing and it's important. But that sort of marriage is doomed. Because sooner or later, what you're going to do is you're going to live for each other instead of the heavenly banquet and the burden you're going to put on one another to measure up will crush each other. You'll be disappointed, and you'll hurt each other, whether intentionally or not. So yes, enjoy the honeymoon. Yes, go on special trips to two of you that mean you can't make it to church. Yes, stare into each other's eyes and get lost in all that blue or all that brown. But don't let those baby blues override your priority that must be the heavenly banquet. Live for the heavenly banquet in ordering your priorities. This world says finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Now what does Jesus say to us? This one's a little bit of a tongue twister. The worldly become weepers. The losers become keepers. The worldly become weepers. The losers become keepers. I'll say it one more time. The worldly become weepers. The losers become keepers. Look at the end of verse 21 through the end of verse 24. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, Jesus is almost certainly driving here against the Jews who are trusting themselves, feel like they're already in the kingdom of God, and they're looking down on the people who are these outcasts, who Jesus is spending time with. These Gentiles, these women, these people who have leprosy and things like that. But notice what he says about that first group of people who are invited. They've become worldly. They love being the finders and the keepers. They're wrapped up in their possessions and their relationships here. Their priorities are way off. And they're going to be left out of the heavenly banquet where there's hell, Jesus says, and wrath, we just heard in recent weeks, and weeping the worldly become weepers. But Jesus is a generous master. He wants the banquet full. He's not stingy. So come on then, he says, go shake the hedgerows where there's the homeless people, the addicts that don't have any place to go. They're on the edges of the property lines, on the edges of the roads and the ditches because they can't live anywhere else. Go get them. Bring them in, the beggars, the losers. That's all of us, by the way, spiritually. Bring in the people who've lost everything and have nothing. Jesus says, I want them. I want them to come and stay. I'm going to keep them. Bring them. I'll keep them for my banquet. They've got their priorities in the right place. Now, if you go to the grocery store after church today, perhaps, or tomorrow, and you start looking around for a banquet, the word banquet, you might wander around for a while. But sooner or later, you're going to end up in the frozen food section. Now, I like pot pies more than the next person, but I'm gonna tell you a banquet pot pie is a banquet in name but, and not in experience. They are disappointing. But do you see the stakes of the heavenly banquet? If you are worldly, if all you care about is this little banquet in this life, this business, this retirement, even this family, you're just getting a little pot pie for your banquet, that's it, and you're missing out on the heavenly banquet. All of those things are good things. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, just trying to think about our priorities here. Jesus wants us to be happy. He says, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy when you live for the heavenly banquet, when you change your priorities, when you think about how status works. When you think about what it really means to be generous, if you care about those other things at the expense of entering the kingdom of God, you will find that you are not a finder and a keeper. You are a weeper, an eternity of weeping. But Jesus comes to make you his keeper. He's not going to toss you back like a fish that isn't grown enough. He goes out. Look at him, he's on the hunt. He's out, He out, beat the bushes, find them. What does he do to his people? Beat the bushes, bring them in. Bring in everybody, welcoming anyone who will come. But to come, you have to admit you're a loser. You have to admit you've got nothing else to offer. That spiritually you're crippled, and you're lame, and you're blind. You can't work. You have to humble yourself before you'll be exalted. You have to give things away, including your own ego and distractions. And you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, we're told. You have to admit, though, first that you have no spiritual wealth of your own, that you need someone to provide for you, that you're poor, can't do good deeds, you're crippled and lame, that you have no spiritual sight, So look at how we live. Well, the world tells us to live. Here, find something worth keeping and be a finder and a keeper. Make everybody else feel worse. Make them jealous. Make them try to measure up. But Jesus goes out looking for people like us, the people that everybody else rejects. People say like, yeah, used to be good looking. Now he's old. She's old. Used to be a a good worker. But now, you know, he's a little slow on the uptick. Maybe we should fire him. You know, pretty good speller, but never won the spelling bee. Pretty good basketball player, but never gonna make varsity. Let's just cut him. But Jesus says, listen, losers, I want you. I'll take you. You don't have to perform for me anymore. I'm going to keep you. And Jesus is happy to have you. Jesus wants you happy. Jesus wants you full of joy because he knows in his presence, you will be full of joy. That's good news for us this morning. You don't have to become a monk when you live for the heavenly banquet, but it will impact how you live. And the heavenly banquet is worth living for. It's worth looking different. It's worth people saying, you know, they're a little different than we are. And that's okay, because the reward is worth it. The heavenly banquet is coming, and Jesus promises to keep us. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness. We pray that we would live lives that have been transformed by Jesus, who is willing to humble himself to the point of death on a cross, and then be exalted. Help us to respond with gospel grace rejoicing in who Jesus is and what he's done for us so that we can live transformed lives. In Jesus' name, amen.